You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shielding Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to Armed Forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag Stand with Ukraine. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, it's uh, it's good to see you. We had a nice little break and we're back kicking off season three. So this is a, a great way to to start off season three. We've got an incredible guest from uh, within the industry who probably has the kind of knowledge that we have been desperately needing to bring onto the show. So I'll uh, I'll hand it to you and let you introduce our guest. Yeah, I'm I'm Zach. Excited to have our guest. So our guest is Fritz Berger. He is a managing director for William Blair, based in the, uh, the firm based out of Chicago. He originally joined William Blair Investment Banking Team in 2004 and been there since. Uh, he currently serves on the firm's Global Inclusion Council. He has three kids and his wife. And uh, we asked about pets, and he said it would be crazy for me to have a pet. So I'm very excited because <laughs> I saw your name for it on, on uh, well, in many conversations and your firm came up in all large transactions and have been done in our industry, I think went through your office one way or the other. So very excited about this conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you both. You know, I'm excited to be here and, you know, the uh, animal health industry is something I'm very passionate about. So looking forward to the conversation today. You know, and I don't know that I can say that every large deal has gone through us, but I think we've certainly been honored to represent and work with a number of uh, number of groups in the space that are doing some really cool things. So, hopefully, hopefully, I can share what I can what I know, and uh, it'll be a good conversation. Well, I want to dive right in. So, this is a very interesting and exciting for some people, exciting for some not exciting time in the veterinary industry. It's been on this sort of rampant acquisition phase, and despite the pandemic, I think twenty twenty or even 2021 was the highest acquisitions done uh, historically in uh, in our domain. Uh, so nothing slowed us down. And then all of a sudden with this market volatility right now and everything that's going on, things changed. And uh, so how do you see, uh, as we wrapped up 2022, what was radically different in both sort of acquisition space of the clinics, the investment world and how investors are looking at the platforms in 2022 compared to 2021, and maybe even throw in there, what do you think is going to happen in 2023? Yeah, it's a, it is a good question and a good way to start off uh, the conversation. I, I think some of the things that really changed this year compared to last year is, you know, finally some macro factors, you know, found a way to slow down things in the animal health industry. I mean, you look back for, you know, 10, 15, you know, 30 plus years that felt like the industry is just moving forward at a at a pace that can't be stopped. But I think what we saw in the back half of this year is rising interest rates, you know, with the cost of debt going up so much to catch up with inflation. Uh, we saw a lot of groups that relied on cheap debt to go out and buy clinics, you know, found that that cheap debt either wasn't available or it was a lot more expensive. And so I think the big thing that changed is it it changed the, a lot of operators' focus from simply just saying, hey, I'm just going to buy a lot of practices because I can do it almost without having to put any equity down. And instead, now I think people actually have to focus on how do I create growth? Uh, how do I help practice? Because it's a lot more expensive to do so. 
And so we're really we're really seeing some sort of question, you know, what is the value of buying a lot of clinics and putting them together? Is it just simply that scale matters uh, or is there something behind that, you know, a playbook for growth that uh, that actually exists? Well, what we've noticed, and that was sort of our journey at Galaxy, we were consulting different consolidators before, and inevitably we we realized that most of consolidators were focusing on arbitrage. Because even if you want to do operational growth and efficiency, when you start buying practices, it's almost like this gold rush. Everybody's selling to you, you're buying them, there's EBITDA adding, and then thinking of spending your time on operations, it's hard. Uh, so when buying is easy and your horizon is three to four years and you can just flip it to the next big fish, then why would you operate these practices, which had a tremendous effect on our industry? So, uh, and not not the positive one, because we now amalgamated multiple cultures into this one kind of ball of hardly managed uh, organization with non-consistent data, not consistent processes, difficult things to put together and yet influence the practices. So so do you think that uh, the change is gonna go towards kind of less acquisitions this year or with the, or will the multiples change on the clinics and the acquisitions will continue? What's your, what's your sort of feel on what's gonna happen with the acquisition pace and, um, and the multiples of the clinics as well as platforms? Yeah, um, I don't think the acquisition pace is going to keep up. So I'll throw a couple of scenarios out there because I'm yeah, really saying that I know exactly what the future is going to hold. I mean, that's just that's a recipe for when we do this show at the end of 2023. You can point back and say, "Look how wrong you were." Um, that's that's why we had you on. It's, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a gotcha segment. <laughs> I, I I think I think the acquisition is going to slow down because what we're hearing at the boardroom is I think everyone is telling their business development teams. Yeah, you know, we can't pay these crazy prices like we did in 2021. We got to pull back on that. There's got to be less cash in the deal. Uh, the multiple has to be lower, and so prices will come down for add-ons. Um, and I think as much as brokers will, are are fighting that, are going to do a good job trying to create competition, you know, for the add-ons. Uh, I, I just I think most of the larger groups are seeing that the platform values are getting tested. Um, when they go out and try and sell to other private equity firms. And I think that they realize that, you know, paying these incredible mid to high teens type of prices for add-ons is just, it's difficult to do, you know, with debt where it's at right now. So I do think that's going to come down. A couple of mitigating factors to that would be if sellers accept that, you know, for a three, four vet clinic, you know, just the price of it's not worth what it was in 2021, it's not because of anything that they're doing. It's not because, you know, someone thinks those vets are any less valuable, but just it's the macroeconomic environment where, you know, we've got larger global worries between inflation, you know, COVID still is a factoring large in China, obviously, you know, near and dear to your heart, the war in the, you know, Russia's war in the Ukraine, all these things have an impact on valuations globally. So I think sellers, if they realize, hey, prices are going to come down, I think there's still liquidity that if somebody wants to sell their practice, they can. And I think the last part on this is, you know, you use the term acquisitions. I, I would I would sort of say broadly, I do think that some of these larger groups, they need to continually expand. And I am hearing a lot of them try and test out this idea of saying, hey, maybe I can do a de novo and maybe I should go out and open up a bunch of these. And, and the thought process is, is it's cheaper to spend 
you know, seven hundred fifty thousand to million dollars to open up a new location, and then and then go out and, and offer some really really hefty signing bonuses for vets to join on and open up a clinic. I think people are looking at it as saying just there's a there's a calculus and a tipping point of like if I have to pay fifteen x for an add on, I might as well just do the work myself because I could probably get a better return from that. So to the extent multiples stay high, I think you're going to see renewed effort from a lot of these large consolidators to say, okay, well, I got to start opening up clinics and just recruiting vets in on my own. So to those vets, and I think this is this is very, very interesting to everybody who is trying to sell. So many vets that we talked to, uh, the offers were pulled. So all of those 15, 18 crazy stuff was pulled and LOIs have been broken. So right now, what do you think is going to happen and what should they do? So if let's say people that we talk to, usually it's not those that are uh, retiring tomorrow. We're looking more for people that want to stay on and continue building this out. What do you think this, whether we call it recession or not, can take in the time-wise? Because is it better to wait out now another three, five years and hope that we'll climb again those multiples? Or that's now not predictable and maybe our bubble burst on these multiples and now we're going to come back to more realistic scenario. And the other side that we're thinking is that the platforms that offer significant partnership and the rollover where they can reinvest their proceeds into the larger company, then they can leverage that sort of second bite of the apple more if there's rollover rather than the big cash out up front. Do you see any of those scenarios being more sort of predictable than other? It's a good question. I mean, like, I think some of the things that I, I struggle with in this is, uh, you know, I think there's there's advice that I can give as it relates to creating wealth for oneself. It, but there's also sort of, I think of it in my own life too. And there's advice of like how to find, you know, something closer to professional purpose. And like, sometimes it's great when those things align, but they don't always align, you know? And I'll, I'll just give you an example of like, you know, if, if another professional organization, another bank or a consulting firm or something, you know, comes to me and offers me a lot of money to join their organization. You know, on the one hand, it's it's sort of flattering, right? When like a vet gets an offer like that. But on the other hand, I kind of look at this as like there's an inverse relationship sometimes between the amount of money somebody is throwing at me to join their organization and, and how I perceive their culture. And, you know, I'm like, wow, like if you're giving me that much money, how bad is it to work there that you need to like throw all those dollars at me? And so it's like, your question's interesting from that standpoint of like, what's better for someone? I, I would still recommend to a lot of the vets that like, for me, like my my day-to-day -day happiness, it's like, it's so much more influenced by the people that are around me on a consistent basis. I mean, obviously it's my family, but it's my work colleagues, it's the clients that I have. Uh, but I imagine for a lot of vets, it's similar, right? It's it's like who's going to make sure that the vet techs in the front office and my other and the other people that are in the practice, you know, remain enthusiastic, happy, empowered to do their jobs. You know, what would what would the regional manager or you know somebody else sort of that would be you know part of my life? What are they like? I think that's going to have a huge impact on someone's feeling of like, am I am I living up to like the professional ambition that I have? not just who's sort of given me the most money. And so I do think it's really important to make sure that there's a strong alignment in terms of like the culture and the team fit of anyone that someone would want to join. So it's like, I think that's the that's the first answer I'd love to give. You're asking me to give a wealth answer as well, so I'm not going to dodge the question. You know, I, I don't know that it's, 
it's possible for me to say that like, oh yeah, this is going to be a quick fix and everything's going to snap back within the span of like six months and just hold on. You know, I, my hunch is I think rolling money into a larger organization, I, I do think that's going to have a, a greater impact on someone's wealth. You know, I just see this across a lot of parts of the economy is that it's not really a fair fight. Organizations that have leadership, that have technology, that have, have individuals that have a mapped out plan and a vision for growth, I just see them as having an advantage. And I think small businesses are going to continue to struggle to keep up with that. It's not to say that like there's not a place for these things, but you know we see it across a lot of areas of position practice. We see this across a lot of areas of consumer. And it's just those organizations that have a lot more resources can do a lot more. And I think for someone that wants to create wealth for themselves, I think joining someone like that is probably going to be a quicker path to, to sort of end up in a spot where you can you can make more. Doesn't always mean that you'll be happier, but I, I, that's that's the two parts of the question. Bruce, that's that's pretty. It's refreshing to hear because um, I do think, you know, coming from outside of the private equity, the investment banker side of things, a lot of people probably look at this as saying, well, an investment bank or a private equity group, their goal is to say, we can make you as much money as possible, or we can capitalize on as much opportunity here. But it's kind of cool, and I think that's probably why you have been successful in the veterinary space, is because there are a lot of things you do have to keep going to your office every single day after you sell it. Um, I mean, that's I've been a part of a company that was acquired, and the culture changed. And you know, you go, oh, this is a different place I had. I mean, Ivan has his story of being acquired and going into a different corporation and, you know, and I think it is kind of neat to, for people to say, if I'm going to continue working, which is what Galaxy Vets looks for, and which I think a lot of the groups in the industry right now are looking for, that perhaps you should think about the smaller liquidity event and also ask some of those questions about who you are working for. As we're recruiting veterinarians, we have been doing a debate about this internally for the past couple of weeks of how much do we need to pay? What's the offer look like? And how prominent is the branding and the team that they're going to be working for versus, okay, these are the benefits we offer. I think the branding of who they're going to be working for and what the the practitioner's day in and day out life is going to be is probably, in what you're saying, as valuable and should be as highly valued as what that bottom line dollar is. Because I think everyone that we're hiring are going to be making fantastic salaries. That's just where the industry is. Um, but there's some of those intangibles that people uh, at all levels of the industry could look at. Yeah, uh, it's um, it, it's it's difficult. And even I use the word even like happy. Um, and I don't know that I, I love that word. I read a, there's a quote by, um, you know, that's, it was a college football coach or something. He was taught, he was saying, he was trying to talk to his players and he described happiness like popcorn. It's like, you know, yeah, who doesn't love popcorn? And they throw it in your mouth. He's um, like, but, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, like nobody's filled up on popcorn. You know, and I think it's a little bit of the same thing. It's like chasing happiness. It's like eating popcorn all the time. Like you kind of feel good while you're doing it, but it doesn't really satisfy you. And I think that's the other spot of like, you mentioned it, like the purpose of some of these larger consolidators. And again, I, I want to separate any ideas of like, are they good? Are they bad? Because there's like 30 to 40 to 50 of them. So it's like, it's really hard to paint all of them with a brush. But I do think for someone that's owned a practice for years and years and has been comfortable and is proud of what they've done and proud of the team that they have, you know, the 
you know, making sure that you still have that sense of purpose, not just like, hey, I, I need to get some cash out of this, but, you know, am I, am I joining with others that I'm going to be excited to get on like a monthly or a quarterly call that do I respect their practices and do I want to go in and learn from them so I can get better? Um, I think that's a really important part of the consideration. I think it's tough too. I mean, if someone's offering suddenly like 15 or 18 times for your business, like no one's a bad person for taking that. Like, you kidding me? Like those are crazy prices. And everyone I think has the, uh, absolutely the, um, you know, the, the encouragement from me to go seek that stuff out. Um, but to your point, like, it's just, I think in a lot of the frenzy of deal-making, um, what gets lost is like, it's a, it can be a slog of a job too, right? It's an everyday type of thing to see animals and to treat them. Every day is a different day and you got to show up and sort of give it your best every day. And that's why it's an amazing industry because people have that passion to do that, but it's a draining industry. I mean, the stories that I've heard from vets and others where it's like, you know, you know, especially going through the pandemic, um, you know, people coming in and just absolutely emotionally just like spent at the end of every week. Um, and that's why I think that, uh, you know, just, it's some, some of that sort of gets lost. I think we're paying the bill for that to some extent. I'm hearing a lot about burnout, which you guys know better than I do, but I'll just, um, uh, I do think that's also contributing to a lot of this. Dr. Ivan, back to your question about like, what should folks do, um, from the consolidator standpoint. So the other side of the table, they're looking at this saying, hey, we've got growth projections. We took all this money in because we promised that we get to this level, right? So like they can't go back on those promises to the people that invested hundreds of millions and billions of dollars into their organization and say to them like, oh, well, I guess, you know, I guess we got it wrong. You know, we're going to have to slow down stuff. I mean, they're still trying to find ways to grow as fast as they can. So it's like, that's the it's a big balance between all the stuff of like the consolidators that are going to push, push, push for growth because that's what they feel obligated to do. And that trickles down to just a vet industry or vet, vet practices that are trying to focus on animals and, and sort of balance their own responsibilities of if someone sold their practice for 15 times, I bet they're thinking like, yeah, I got to produce too. It's tough. Well, and the, the cool thing is that, you know, I'm always talking, you know, to our team and I'm saying, look, we can't partner with someone and then expect them to do it. We need to have a plan because when they sold their practice, they brought it to the maximum productivity that they could to maximize their outcome. So thinking that we bought a practice and hooked someone with a holdback that they need to produce, then it's, you know, you need to provide them with tools. And I think that it's really important to explain those tools up front when you're partnering with them, saying that you got to have a culture, but then on the other side, I think those listeners that, that are thinking of selling their practice, ask the consolidator, what are you going to do with the practice to grow? If I'm committing to continue or even exceeding the expectations, then what are you going to help me with? Because it's always very, like, I don't find that anybody spends time on this. They just say, we're going to bring technology without really saying what it is. Just, we're going to digitalize and bring technology. We're going to improve marketing, but there's no like, what actually you're going to do? Can you explain to me like A to B, like what is going to happen and how much growth is going to provide in each of those tools? So I think that's been missing when we were talking to consolidators, but I want to, and we're nearing sort of to the end, it's these conversations always go so fast, but, um, but I want to try to put you on the spot and you can, yeah. you can dodge, dodge that. <laughs> what do you think the multiples will do on both platform? Cause you know, the performance that everybody was designing in the last two years was 25 on the exit. Cause we've seen five, seven, you know, platforms exit at 25 in further than that, at least like 26 and a half. 
And then, uh, and then the multiples on the clinics, what are they today and how far do you think they will fall in the 2023? And uh, just again, we're not going to hold you to it, uh, but, uh, and we're not going to say <laughs> the end of 2023, Fritz told us this, but just yeah, mark you know, this down you know, right now. Yeah. Even the industry, not like it's recorded, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but just what do you think? Because when folks are going out there, there's no really a good barometer. So what do you think or what are you seeing and how far the practices will go? Like on a multi-vet, what's the multiple? What's realistic? Because you also look at other industries which are radically different, dentistry, physio, and other multi-physician uh, multi, um, um, networks. And then what do you think on the platforms? Because some platforms are expiring on their horizon and they need to bring return on investment. So they have to recap in the next couple of years. So what do you think those platforms would go for and what are the clinics are going to go down to in 2023? That is a... Uh... Right on the spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll start with the add-ons first and then I'll move to the platform because I can probably be a little bit um, more confident in my answer on the add-ons. But I do think add-on prices are going to continue to be pressed down in 2023, just based on the level of conversation that I'm having with, again, board members, CEOs, others, uh, you know, coming out of some of the conferences and, and, and so forth. That just people are recognizing that paying 15 plus, you know, 12 plus for all these practices, um, it just, it's, it's difficult to do. And without trying to do... Um, math out loud, which is just a recipe for a, a, a really wonderful podcast. Like listen to people do math out loud. Um, like basically cash interest has doubled. And as a result, uh, the consolidators have less cash, or at least the ones that are refinancing their businesses are going to have less cash to spend on M&A. Or said another way, they're going to need more equity investments from their their private equity partners to execute their M&A plans. And just, I, I think that they're going to continue to try and, you know, impose upon add-ons the idea that it's like, hey, well, if I'm going to give you a big multiple, I'm not paying you as much cash. So it's like, you're going to have to use seller financing or some other non-cash sort of a payment to get those deals done. So you know, where they settle, I don't think that they're going to quite end up in single digits. I think that a lot of the consolidators would love to try and drive it down there, but they're also so eager for growth that I think it's going to be difficult for me to say that, like, we're going to have that radical of a shift. So I, I suspect that, you know, high quality groups are ones that have built a relationship that are willing to, you know, accept a, uh, you know, an offer that maybe looks a little bit heavier on non-cash payments up front could still get something that's kind of in that 10, 11, 12 zone. But I'm going to be surprised if there's still a lot of consolidators out there that are paying, you know, 15 plus for practices. So again, I, I'm sure that there'll be some exceptions to that, but that would be my answer is we are going to see flat or add-on prices continue to move down maybe about a, a, a turn or two or so. In terms of the platforms, I'm going to say I, I, I don't think that they're going to come down in price, but I also don't think that there's going to be as many deals done. Right. So the sellers that won't accept a price below, you know, 20X or 19X or something like that, I think that they're just sort of going to get it in their head of like, okay, I've got to hold this for a few more years until the world figures itself out. And so I think that for a lot of, for a lot of the, the, the math at the, at sort of that private equity level, 
they might be sitting here thinking, all right, I want a 3x return on my investment. And so if I can't get, like, if selling at 17 times only gets me two and a half turns, well, then you know what? I'm just going to hold it for a couple more years. And if the 17x holds, well, then I'll continue to grow and I'll add some more bets and I'll add some more practices. And that's how I'm going to get to a 3x return. And so I think they're going to use time as the variable more so than looking at what the multiples are in the market. But I think you're trying to put me on the spot. I'll at least, you know, you're nice enough to have me on as a guest. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that like right now, I think the fee, the, the, the culture amongst investors is not one of abundance and like, yes, let's make this work. I think that the culture amongst investors is don't do something stupid. And, you know, I think the appearance of sort of paying, you know, crazy high prices when, you know, the Fed is still trying to figure out what it wants its, you know, policy to be towards inflation. You know, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? I think there's a lot of questions that are unanswered. And that doesn't that doesn't create an environment where someone's reaching deep into their pocketbook and says, Yeah, let me let me spend hundreds of millions of dollars of equity at a at a really high valuation and hope that I get it right. And so I do think that platform prices are going to be you know, if someone wanted to transact, I think it would be less than it where it is in 2021. And I think that even keeping at 2022's levels might be a challenge for some. But I don't think that a lot of groups at the platform level are at a spot where they they need to sell immediately. So I think a lot of them are just going to end up holding um, if, the, if the broader macro environment doesn't change. That's, well, I will give you a softball to wrap up. So we always ask everyone what their book recommendation or podcast or TED Talk or Netflix show, whatever you want to recommend for people so that they can uh, get a little better insight into into how you think and, and what you're into. Yeah. So I appreciate this. Uh, so I'll give, you, I'll give you three. So on the work front, you know, something that I read that I, I try and use a lot is uh, Measure What Matters by John Doerr. So he's, he was one of the first in, um, investors into Google and um, wrote a great book about just like goal setting and really liked it a lot. Um, so I use a lot of goals in my like um, my day-to-day, my week-to-week. I use goals with my team, love making them tangible, measurable, you know, stretch goals as well. Um, I find that that's, that really sort of keeps me focused. On the personal side, I'm finishing up Ken Liu's Dandelion Dynasty, pretty thick books, but um, I find he's, a, he's an amazing author. It's sort of more like East Asian steampunk stuff. Good, good stuff. Um, recommendation of East Asian steampunk books. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really follow it up with a second. Um, <laughs> and then, and then in terms of uh, on Netflix and stuff, um, I'm a sucker for anything like cooking related. So I've been watching uh, a show called High on the Hog and it's about mm-hmm. uh, Afri- African-American influence on just the, um, culinary in the U.S. and tracing sort of what what the first slaves brought over from Africa, how that sort of translated into a whole bunch of different cuisines and styles. So it was a four-part series, pretty cool. Wow. Those are there awesome. we go. Yeah, that was great. great. Thank you for the insight. You obviously have your hand on the pulse in the industry. Sorry to put you somewhat on the spot, but I think that uh, our listeners would really appreciate at least get some sort of a direction of what's going on because it's really hard when you're in well, in our shoes is to be like, how do you align with this? How do you know that you're not paying too much? How do you 
how do you know that you're competitive? So all of those things. So I really appreciate you giving at least some sort of the the uh, guardrails and uh, and the direction. And uh, thank you so much for finding the time. And uh, we'll, uh, well, it will be nice to check in again, maybe in mid-year or at the end of the year and see where we are and just, uh, just have another conversation. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. It's a great space. Hopefully I can help help the listeners with anything that they need. So thanks a lot for all that you're doing, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at galaxyvets.com.